Okay. Mia culpa is sua culpa. <laughs> sure. My body is your body. Uh, is that that's what that means? Well, I think mea culpa means my body. I'm fairly certain. I'm almost positive. I only took one year of Spanish. Couldn't tell you how I know that. That sounds right. You only took one year? In middle school, mind you. Well, yeah. I I, I say incredulously as I took zero <laughs> foreign language in high school. Uh, no way. <laughs> well, actually, I'm completely wrong. It uh-huh. means my fault. It means I apologize. Yeah, I thought it was like culpable. Uh, yeah, my fault is your like the my fault is your fault. <laughs> it comes from the prayer of confession in the Catholic Church. Yeah, it's like I don't the, know why I thought it meant oh root God. my body. That's yeah. funny. That's funny. That is funny. That's, I'm gonna start making that joke though. That's you should. <laughs> awesome. Um, I'm ready. I'm recording. Welcome to Ravel, a roundtable show about how faith gets complex with the vast amount of information at our fingertips. For some people, this complexity has caused the unraveling of their faith, and for other people, it's been liberating. Take us, for example. I'm Stephen. I'm Josh. And I'm Emily. We each grew up in different parts of the American Christian spectrum, and as some of our beliefs migrate, we still feel like our theology is in process. Theology always has fundamentally been, and will always be, an exploratory dialogue. That alone is proof that faith raveling doesn't have to be a crisis, even if it feels like it. We don't have all the answers, so we want to use this show to model what it can look like to genuinely sort through beliefs in real time. So share a drink with us as we pull on the thread of our own pressing questions. Thanks for listening. Howdy who, buckaroos. Hello. Uh, howdy who buckaroos? That's yeah. nice. I've totally led with that before. That's it. That's a thing. I don't feel like that's a... I know you said howdy, but I Oh, I love know. saying howdy. It's because I'm from Montana. Yeah. And I'm allowed to say it. Montana night. Put a little uh, squiggle A little sure did. What's What's that punctuation called for jalapeno? A uh, squiggle. Is it? No. Uh, so what are you... No, it's not. No way it's a squiggle. <laughs> <laughs> this is... No foreign language in high school, Steven. It's some acento, Mark. I don't know. Um, what are you cowboys drinking tonight? That's awesome. <laughs> I'm on my favorite potion as of late. Constant comment tea with a wedge of lemon and dollop of honey. Ooh, that's great. Um, my nausea is in full force. So I have this huge mug of peppermint tea because that is amazing for nausea. It is. Um, and I also have water because, you know. Hydrate or dehydrate. I am drinking a cocktail that I made. I have not done this combo before, but I rummaged through. I've got a guava LaCroix, which is a really interesting one, I think. And I'm drinking that on the side, but it's guava LaCroix. And then I've got this like aperitif that's made somewhere in Montana that's kind of like a Huckleberry-y aperitif-y vibe. And then lemoncello and lemon juice and some bitters. And it's really like... Boulder, Colorado co-op. That's what it tastes mm. like. Mm. And there's like a little edge of carrot in there. Like I could honestly see someone making this with like a dash of carrot juice and it being crazy. It's really refreshing. Have you ever made a concoction that just had too many flavors? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Or just like one's way out of whack or like. Yeah. yeah but yeah, that yeah. sounds nice. Mm-hmm. That sounds mm-hmm. very balanced. If I've learned anything from my barista days, it's always easier to add. You cannot take away. Yes. Amen. Always undersalt. Add more. Um, 
Speaking of adding more, this week's episode is brought to you by me. My question was picked by the randomizer. And we are talking about, does it matter where money comes from? And I've had this question written down for quite a while. In fact, probably since we did our last money episodes, which I think were like 15 and 16. Yeah, they were in the teens somewhere. They were some of our best ones, though. Super good. That was back when I was not... I'm so many kinds of heretic now, but I'm definitely a Dave Ramsey oh, heretic now. But yeah. I wasn't then. I was really into it then. That's so oh, true. Oh, that's true. Uh-huh. Wow. Yeah. We had a lot of thoughts on that episode. Uh, I mean, that was our first double, I think first and only double feature where we, yeah. just, we just kept, kept going. Talking. Yeah. Two-parter. Um, so I've been thinking about this question for a long time, and I'm not quite sure where it's going to go. So I'm just going to like leave it there. Like, Do you think it matters where money comes from? To <laughs> to me, I I regard. So, what do you mean? Like I, as a person who works for wages, do you mean like I like yes, or, or also no? Like we, it like, could be all of them. Yeah, and see, I was thinking the literal sense of like, do I care that we destroy forests? Are not on a gold standard, or and we're printing <laughs> yeah. money, and pennies are disgustingly gross, and have wow, you're, no yeah. value. You're thinking raw raw elements. <laughs> I'm talking like <laughs> literal money. Like, do I care where it comes from? I mean, do I know it's been in a stripper's G-string? No. Okay, actually, that's a really good example for this, I think. Because Great. like, <laughs> like, I think that like the physicality of money is involved in this question. I think so. And I didn't, I didn't really think about that. Because like, in terms of the, like, Emily, obviously you're the only person right now employed by a church in this groom. Groom? <laughs> I meant to say I combined group and room. In this groom, you're the only person employed by the church. I've never been employed by the church, but obviously my parents have been. Sure. I have been. I've been employed by a church, too. Yeah. For anyone not caught up on episodes. Full disclosure. Yeah. <laughs> so, Trigger warning. For example, and that this is a rabbit hole we don't need to go down, but... There are a lot of like corporation boycotts happening right now sure. around the world in various ways, various opinions. And I think that that kind of brings up an interesting question of like, does it matter where money comes from or goes towards in the future? Oh, and like, ooh, I think in fun. like in regards to the church, I feel like a lot of people like can easily turn up their nose at like the prosperity gospelers and be sure. like, well, they're like, they're taking money from poor people, especially. And like, it's being used for like extravagant wealth. And I know that that's not every pastor out there. And that's certainly not our very own Emily at all. But like, I think it brings up an interesting question of like, does the source of money matter? Oh, definitely. I think especially in not just churches, but like even nonprofit too. Mm. If people can perceive it as like shady business or like under the table business. Yeah, like black market involvement. Black market propaganda. You know, like the latest thing that I'm thinking of is like Starbucks, right? Yeah, great example. People are, some people I guess are enraged with Starbucks coming out with the watermelon design on their cups and profiting off of that symbol. And people are then coming out saying, well, they're sending money to the Israeli government so they can then continue to bomb and to kill innocent Palestinian lives in Gaza. And it's like, ee, like 
I didn't, I personally don't like Starbucks. Like we have one here in Cody. I don't take my business there. But then when there's information like that, the first thing people say is, is well, my money's not going to go there, right? It's all yeah. going to support local, right? And it's just, to me, it's fascinating how quickly money and propaganda and promotion can steer people's money to or away from institutions. How old were you guys when you think you first heard the phrase vote with your dollar? Young? I don't know. Yeah. Teenager? Middle school? Put your money where your mouth is? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Do you think that's uniquely American that we speak that way? Yes. Yes. (laughs) I would assume so. Yeah. If you are not from the U.S., please let us know. Be curious if that's normal. Like UK or Australian listeners, because yeah, that's... Well, I think it's really interesting to like be protective of one's money when you are freely giving it towards something. Yeah. Like whether it was like capitalistic towards a corporation or like given graciously to a nonprofit like a church, like I think people still have, I'm not saying this is right or wrong in any case, but like I think it's very common for people to feel like they still own that money. Like I remember at my church camp growing up, I remember a very specific situation where a group of older people had donated, I don't even know the amount. I'm, I'm just going to assume it's over $1,000 somewhere above that. They donated a significant portion of money to camp. It's camp's money, right? Mm-hmm. And then after the fact, it became like a years-long riot that they mm. wanted that money used for like a new kitchen. And they were like, we only want it used for that. And That's because I remember- they have the model of a, like a stock market or like you buy yourself a seat on the board. Yeah, designated gifts or yeah. Capitalism is everywhere. (laughs) Which like you can legally do stuff like that. Like you can legally give things for the express purpose of, but like it wasn't like that. It wasn't like a contract. It was like freely donated. And then they like threw a fit for years that they, the camp didn't want to use it for what they wanted it to be used for. And I remember thinking at the time, like that's ridiculous. (laughs) Like that's not their money anymore. Right. So like on one hand, it's like, I feel like with donations and philanthropy that, it it does uh, muddy the waters a little bit because like, yeah, I kind of have the sense that like, you know, years ago when I spent $900 on this MacBook Pro, the fact that I remember how much money I spent is like the, the money is the conference of value of like, so in a way it's like, yeah, I just traded the money for this thing that's that was worth that amount. And I do still have that, you know, mm-hmm. but then like you're saying philanthropy and like giving we get it all you know it like it gets a little twisted because we still have this mindset of like oh money is just the go-between of like trades of value so that we don't have to be like i have a bunch of beans do you want those for a computer you know like that (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. not very productive in our world right so like we use the money as the go-between but like when you when you give it away but you still have that that exact mindset of like, well, uh, I wanted it to be a kitchen. Like I had so many plans for that. It's like, then why didn't you just like hire the kitchen contractor and tell the camp that the contractor was going to show, you know, it's like you were saying like with this donation, I trust you with your stewardship of this money and it is no longer Mm. mine. But then they kept being weird with it. I think the idea of giving especially in churches, is really bizarre. 
Um, <laughs> Said and the pastor. And that's great coming from me because so often to truly give means you're letting it go. Yeah, right. But when you have stipulations or hidden agendas or the threat of taking it back, you're not really giving it. Yeah. I withdraw my donation. In a way, you're just lending it. Yeah. Like, well, it's like, I withdraw my donation to the local high school football team if they don't put my son on the starting line. Or, you know, yeah. Like, mm. Or I don't agree with what the, the church is doing, so I'm leaving the church and I'm taking my money with me. Yeah. Have you ever had somebody threaten that? I've always been curious how common that is. Me personally, no. I've had people leave and right, they right. took their money, but I've never actually had anyone we'll use that as a threat. in my face threaten me to say, if you don't change what you're doing, we're taking our money elsewhere. That's probably a good sign. Well done, <laughs> you and you. your congregation. But I do know who my big givers are. Yeah. I, I do know who Ooh. my big givers are, and I make sure to avoid them. Oh. <laughs> Oh, funny. You don't give them red carpet treatment. That's so I, funny. I mean that in the sense you're, of like... You're literally going if, first shall be last kind of vibes. <laughs> like, if we're doing fundraising, I don't try to reach out to specific people first. Huge. Mm. Wow, I'm so glad you do that. I open it up to everyone, and I don't need to know the specifics of who gave what in those instances. But like, I like to know who my givers are as far as big donors. And also just like what people tithe in general, because so often people will say, I'm going to tithe this amount. And then like 20 years go by and they're still tithing that amount. And sometimes life happens Mm. and you want to check in with them to be like, hey, have you thought about changing what you're giving? Like you're going through a rough patch right now. You don't need to give so much or hey, things are doing great for you. Have you considered changing what you're donating? Because you've done the same for 25 years. Like. The $50 that you were giving back in 1972 is not the same as it is today. So like inflation, carry the one kind of things (laughs) like that. But yeah, if we have like things going on, I'm not going to go to so-and-so and and be like, hey, I know you got the big pockets. Let's like get this project taken care of and I'll give you VIP access to all my pastoral duties. It's bullshit. (laughs) It's not like the church is looking for a donor to like put a name on a wing like hospitals do or something you would be shocked oh really well the, you guys been to my church the fellowship hall have you gotten offers yeah. of like this is the susan microwave and you put a little plaque called susan on it when susan we have the we have the cook kitchen and then we have Comal hall okay oh actually so that's what it is it's the names of yeah. the okay there's history there. We can't lay that at your feet, though. Yeah, no, that's long <laughs> before I was there. Yeah, that's fair. Oh, yeah, you'd be surprised the number of churches that have things like that. This elevator, you know, was given in memory of so-and-so, and then their name is plastered everywhere. We didn't have that at my last church. We used to do something even more greasy and gross. <laughs> oh, no. Uh, which was the campus pastors would know who the top, 10% of the tithers were. Okay. And then we'd do like a monthly like schmooze dinner where the oh, church would like no. host this little night and buy dinner and no. it was disgusting. I never went, 
I was never a good enough giver and I was never invited as staff because I wasn't high enough on the staff. Wow. But it was so creepy, you guys. It was gross. I found out about that. I was like, oh, I'm going to. And then this got me in trouble, too, because like I was like, I'm just going to take what we've been tithing and give it to the organizations that the church says that they're giving some of it to, like Charity Water or something like that. So I started donating directly to Charity Water instead of to the church, and I got a talking to saying, like, do you not trust the church with your money or with God's money? And I was like, no, I fucking don't, actually. If you have to have those conversations, that's a red flag. Okay, because that's the thing. Okay, so I did not think that was where you were going to go with it, Emily. When like the psychology of like the word giving is like you're giving it up. I was thinking the way my last church context and the way I grew up with like, it's not when it's at church, it's not giving, it's tithing. It's God's money. You're not giving that up. You're acknowledging the fact that it's God's money. And then you get to be grateful that he lets you keep 90%. That was the that was the flip I thought you were gonna give me for like well no. it's not giving it's like Emily you don't like that that you don't like that phrasing that's cringy to me see I feel like I've heard that phrasing and I've like actually been okay with that like I feel like that can be healthy can be but it can also be misused too uh, yeah I don't think it's an inherently good statement but like I don't think we've seen it lived out in a healthy good way because otherwise it's just interpreted as church leadership pressuring the people especially when you think about 10 percent, someone who's unemployed or someone who's on disability you're now asking them to give 10 percent of that when they're barely making ends meet like that if it's a forceful situation that is not healthy i think it can be i also think about the people who are well off who do not tithe 10 percent. nope We just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel. Seriously, there's a lot of great shows out there, and we're grateful to be in your feed. Thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology. If you want to support what we're doing, the best way to help is to tell a friend about us. We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between. And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you. Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color. You know what's funny? I don't think I've thought about this until now. I've thought about this in regards to like taxes, but not in regards to tithing, because I feel like when I was super into tithing, I was always of the mindset of like, well, it's proportional. Like your ten percent, it's the same proportion for everybody. Yeah, like yeah. it's like flat rate. But like, ten percent for someone who's making minimum wage has more of an impact for that person than ten percent of someone who's in the 80th percentile, even though it is still proportional. 
And so, okay, here's a question. Do you think it matters more where money comes from or where money ends up? Because Stephen, you brought- Where money ends up. Oh, okay. Hot take. Okay. Because like Stephen brought up a great point about like he just started donating straight to the charities. Yeah. And I guarantee you the church that he was at previously is doing just fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. They're fine. Mm. Hey, I will say they're fine because they underpay every bit of their staff, and they <laughs> they spend money on things that just look flashy and yeah, look good on Instagram. But yeah, uh, they're doing fine. I've been doing some therapeutic work about how I was complicit in that for <laughs> a good while. Well, um, good on you. But yeah, because here we are. Repentance and repair. I feel like there is a good argument to be made where that it matters where it goes because, like, I'm thinking about like you both of your recent examples, like Emily talking about like resourcing a church. Like, I feel like that was my church experience as well. Like, there were often like parts of the church, like physical things of the church that were like in memory of or mm-hmm. like donated by this family, and like, sure, that has like a tradition of like families buying pews and like investing in a church but like there's like a resource point of view for most of that of like people saying like i want this to exist and then like maybe the community honors them with naming it after them and like i think that can be really meaningful versus like obviously a church taking a business approach and saying we need to identify our top spenders and really go after that yeah they're the most important like so they clearly care about where money comes from in the sense of where the most of the money is versus like, I feel like coming from like more of a resource angle cares about where money ends up. Yeah. I think it matters where money ends up. I think that's what makes the prosperity gospelers seem the worst. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> because it, it is worse on the side of where money is from and also where money ends up. <laughs> and like, it's fundamentally different than like, a poor church asking people, asking their poor community to lend spare change to fix but the that's, roof. I mean, for the prosperity thing, is like you get to feel like you're a part of it, though. And you enjoy some of the benefits, quite literally, of like a pastor who's convinced you of the prosperity gospel, you give money toward. And it's no coincidence that in the next two years, that building is upgraded. There's new TVs everywhere. The youth group is banging with- The Lord has blessed. New Xboxes. The youth group is banging. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they are. Oops. Didn't mean to- Oops. Anyway. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of like, oh, I'm going to give money to this. And like, whoa, it, it does feel like God is blessing us because we have all the cool new toys, you know, like- wow, isn't it crazy that we gave money to this and now the church needs to be the size of arena and we need like full-time parking attendant staff? Like, of course. That's because you're part of a pyramid scheme. It's quite sad. I still like your question, Josh. I feel like really being sassy with it and saying, no, it doesn't matter where money comes from because fundamentally I've started to believe that it is made up and it is what we make it. So, <laughs> like, why is it valuable? Because we agree it is. <laughs> sure. And some people would be like, yeah, but like, that's, that's the nature of a fiat currency because now, like, we're off the gold standard. Why is gold valuable? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I, maybe that's part of what like brings in the disgust factor too. Sure. Is like, yeah, we agree that it's real, and we agree that we are tied to it. Oh, and so like, like I don't, I don't approve of everything the U.S. government uses its money for, but I don't have any control over that either, and I can't just like. The only way I could solve that is by depatriating, which yeah. is not out of the question. <laughs> like to be fair, but like I think that what grinds my gears a little bit more is when like people have a problem with either the source of money or like the result of money, mm-hmm. but there's no like controlling it. Like if it's not their money to do anything with, sure. I don't know. Like for instance, I changed when I was still tithing. I changed the way that I tithe. Because I saw people giving in different ways directly to people. And I was like, I would still like to acknowledge that this money is, at the time, this is me thinking, right? Me theologizing about my own money that I earned. And me theologizing along the lines of what Stephen was mentioning earlier, that like, I think this money is God's. And I would like to acknowledge that like, this money is, is my own, but is also not my own and like, belongs to people in need as well. And... Therefore, I like changed the way I was tithing and like no longer gave. I like still saw it as tithing, but like I didn't give to the church anymore. And like I think doing that really altered my thinking about giving in a good way. I think it got me to think a lot about the result of money more than the source of money. Like I feel like there's a part of me that thinks that like quote unquote dirty money could be redeemed or like laundered for good. <laughs> like don't know like like think of like the Zacchaeus story or something like if somebody like made money unethically somehow or like they they like are just profiting off of people like think like a prosperity gospeler but then they like start to use that money for good somehow that feels redemptive to me like i i feel like the i feel like the power of how money is used feels stronger to me and more impactful than where money comes from because people, I think, at the end of the day, unless they were robbed, most likely freely gave of their money, even if they were influenced to do it somehow. I think that's why we, like people as a whole, feel such a strong connection to the idea of Robin Hood. Ooh. This idea of like robbing the poor to feed the rich. No, it's robbing the rich to feed the poor. And yet... Like in our society, we're having this sensation of we're robbing the poor to feed the rich. So we're in like desperate need of like a Robin Hood character where things are just turned on its head. Is it sketchy behavior? Absolutely. Is the outcome good? Absolutely. Um, I also think, and I don't really know where this necessarily came from, but this was not a thought that I had for a while. I think there's also a deep shame of money in the church. Ooh. Especially if you work for the church. Oh, please say more. So, for example, I work for the church. I am employed by the conference specifically. My paycheck comes from my congregation. On paper, it looks like I'm doing fine. (laughs) On paper, it looks like I'm okay. Do I ever actually see that? No. Mm. And I think sometimes there is a misunderstanding of this person's doing fine. Why can't they do more? And I think you see that a lot with staff, with church staff. I know what they make. 
why can't they give more? Why can't they do more? Why can't they be available more? And I think, Josh, your idea of tithing and seeing how people tithe differently, I have expressed that in my own life of I can tithe 10% of my pay, sure. Or I can give some money and tithe 10 plus more of my time outside of my pastoral duties to serve my community. And I think there's where that deep shame comes in of people wanting you to physically cha-ching, cha-ching, do more because your time is just time. It can come and go. It's not really worth anything. You can't put a dollar figure on someone's time that they spend. Unless they make money by the hour. Unless they make money by the hour. And even then, what they're earning is not enough. $7.25 per hour. Really? That's, we are putting that amount on someone's time that they are giving? That's, that's so incredibly sad to me. That like, you're going to die. You're going to be cremated or buried in the earth. And your life comes down to what your tax breaks were and what your pay stub said at the end of each month or every other week. No, like, why? I'm, I'm with Steven. It's all just in our head and we should just trade beans and corn. And I have to imagine that the conference of value on human beings, uh, you know, We've been doing that for thousands of years. It's not anything new to America. It's not even new to capitalism. It, that was happening in Rome. Like, yeah. And that's actually what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about last and first and first and last kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And talking about like, no, we show up. We are a citizenry, a church. See last episode. We are a people, Ecclesia, who show up for the poor because the rest of culture is built to show up for the rich people. Yeah. Mm. Because they think they can buy you because they're conferring value with their money. But uh, our value as people, humans, you know, no price tag. Of course, no price tag. Thanks, Jesus. Those are wise words. Thanks, JC. (laughs) Steven, you were minimalist for quite some time, right? Like you fully identified as like being minimalist and like, Trying to like buy minimally and yeah, I, et cetera, I, right? I, I still consider myself that, you know, like identify as a minimalist, but that everyone can talk about how that looks different to everyone. And it doesn't necessarily mean I only own one bowl and one plate <laughs> and a fork and no spoon because the spoon was clutter. You know, it's the, like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not aesthetic or aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not a monk. You'd be a great monk uh, though. But yeah, I. I am very intentional about what I buy, what I get, like give away, all those kind of things. Do you think it would be even possible for a church to use their money in a minimalist way? Because, like, I liked your point about like minimalism being different for anyone. What are the aims? I think that's that's up to the community, and then you just have to ask the question, like, what what it what are the aims? Of, like, if we're going to pool money, what the heck are we going to do with it? Yeah. Damn, I wish every church business meeting started like that. Like, that's a great question. It truly is like, hey, we have, we have this much money. What do we do with it? And you can start answering the questions, like, very realistically. Like, 
well, we want a building that's not like someone's house to meet in. So we're going to have to like lease that or we're going to have to like purchase that or mm-hmm. something so we can save up for that or, you know, or do we want someone like constantly available for pastoral staff? We should make sure that they make like a living wage so that they can support their lives and do that. But if the, if the answer to the question is no, we don't need someone full-time doing that, then you have other questions to ask. Okay, what does part-time leadership look like? Yeah. Are they allowed to work a job and be on do not disturb when you're having a family emergency? They're waiting tables right now, so they can't, you know. Fun fact, there are groups within churches that do that. Groups within churches that do yeah, that. Yeah, like a committee, like, like a board. I'm not, no, I'm talking like even... Like, we have a women's group that's technically separate from the Methodist Church. They were at one point a part of the Methodist Church, but they are now called United Women of Faith. And they have no actual, like, ties to the Methodist Church, but they have Methodist roots. That's literally how every meeting is. It's like, hey, we have this amount of money. Where are we going to spend it? What are we going to do with it? We don't want to keep it. We don't want to keep it. We want to give it to this organization. We want to give it to this charity. We want to, oh, so-and-so died. We want to gift their family with this amount of money. Yeah, yeah. like a discretionary fund or like, no, like something like that. All, their, all of their money. <laughs> oh, like they, they pool all of their money? Or yeah. Like a so like, so like for instance, when they meet monthly, they'll pass around a little basket because each woman or like two or three women will host lunch for that time. And then the money that they raised during lunch, plus whatever they have in their bank account, they're going to say, okay, we have this. What are we going to do with it? Mm. Ah, the, the Partners Cafe, which is in the library, they are a cafe run entirely by people with special needs and disabilities. We want to gift that institution with this amount of money. Great. It's gone. It's no longer with us. I think churches could do that. It's yeah, going to take a lot of time, too. but they could. I mean, I've only seen that happen on an annual basis, which to be fair, when you're an adult, a year goes by freaking fast, man. Very true. So I get it. Well, it's also but like, like uh, there, uh, there's so many questions involved in like, uh, what do you want your church to look like? Do you need a sermon? Do you need someone to play guitar and sing? Or can your worship look different? Do you need teaching or do you exist for some other purpose? The question of like, what does a church do with their money is like, I don't know. What, what do they want to accomplish? What do they want to do? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How do they want to show up? That's I huge. wonder if we will ever see pastors be more freelance or like fractional. Have you heard that term before? Like in the business world? Oh, mm-hmm. Like like where like a pastor is like a pastor for like two or three different churches or something like that. Because like one can't. Sub- but then like, then you might be talking about like combining congregate congregations or like. I don't know. I feel like there's like just so many different ways that you could involve a community around money and consider like where it comes from and where it goes in a good way. Like I really do think like the church can and will be a resource. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting stuff to think about. Amen. Emily, would you close this out? I don't have a segue. I, <laughs> I don't know how to ask you where your benediction will come from. Josh and I will start the plate going down the queue. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, speaking of plates, there was a story of a woman who received the offertory plate and she put it down on the floor and stood inside of it. So it makes you wonder, what are you actually giving? What is the value that you give? And where do you want it to go? Do you want to see production? 
want to see glamour or do you want to see people thriving and a world flourishing? What you put in the plate and what you put in your mouth and what you put in your pocket matters. Thank you.